Online, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Sheila Pirsch and you're listening to Catholic View on this Friday evening, Youth Day. Coming up in today's broadcast, being a youth day, I thought we should look at the role of the youth in the Catholic Church as well as youth devotion to the Rosary. But first, as usual, I'd like to bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Friday evening, God's power saves us from weakness and sins, said Pope Francis at Daily Mass. Vatican organizes World Congress to fight corruption. And South Africa commemorates Youth Day. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. In order to be saved and healed by God, we must recognize that we are weak, vulnerable, and sinful like earthen vessels, said Pope Francis at the morning mass in the Casa Santa Marta Chapel in the Vatican this Friday. Reflecting on the second letter to the Corinthians, where St. Paul spoke about the mystery of Christ, Pope Francis said, We have this treasure of Christ in our fragility and vulnerability because we are vessels made of clay. The Pope went on to say that all of us are vulnerable, fragile, weak, and we need to be healed. But recognizing our vulnerability is one of the most difficult things of life. At times, we try to cover this vulnerability with cosmetics in order to disguise it, pretending it does not exist. And disguises are always shameful. They are hypocrisy, said Pope Francis. Corruption is unjust because it negatively affects the weakest. That is why the Pope believes that the Church has much to say in the fight against corruption. The Vatican is trying to fight against it with its own weapon, dialogue. Bishops, judges, police, politicians and victims have gathered in Rome to exchange experiences in the fight against corruption, which in some places is second nature. In this Congress organized by the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, there are anti-mafia prosecutors and representatives of anti-trafficking organizations. This Congress joins other initiatives in this fight, such as the Pope's meeting with judges in November 2016, as well as meeting with mayors from around the world in July 2015. According to 2016 data from Transparency International, the three countries with the highest perception of corruption are Somalia, South Sudan, and North Korea. Denmark, on the other hand, is the country seen with the least amount. On to African news, the World Food Program, WFP, has announced that it is phasing out its year-long emergency operation to combat drought in Swaziland. The agency said that it had supported around 230,000 people affected by drought in conjunction with the government's national response program. Matthew Wells reports from UN News. 
WFP Country Director Alberto Mendez thanked the international donor community for its generous support, saying it had been vital for those most in need. Leading donors, including the European Union, United States, Japan and the African Development Bank, contributed close to $10 million. Around 124,000 received direct food aid, with a further 142,000 choosing to use cash assistance for food. Swaziland's been among the country's hardest hit by two consecutive years of drought attributable to the El Nino weather pattern. WFP said it would continue helping orphans and vulnerable children as well as its Food by Prescription project for people living with HIV and AIDS. Serious human rights violations continue to take place in Burundi amidst a climate of deep and widespread fear. That's the message delivered to the UN Human Rights Council on Thursday by the Commission of Inquiry on Burundi, which is investigating abuses in the wake of the president's decision to run for the third term in April 2015. Reporting from UN News, here's Diane Penn. The three members of the commission laid out a list of violations which have occurred in Burundi, including execution, torture, sexual and gender-based violence, arbitrary arrests and enforced disappearances. Many were committed by members of the National Intelligence Service and the police, sometimes assisted by members of the Youth League of the ruling party, known as the Imbonerakure. The information came from testimony provided by exiles living in Tanzania, Rwanda, Uganda and other countries as commission members were denied access to Burundi. We were struck in our investigations by the feeling of deep and widespread fear running through the testimonies we gathered, they said. The experts also were struck by what they described as the particularly cruel and brutal nature of the violations. For example, some of the testimonies allege that victims' nails were ripped out with pliers during torture sessions or that their bones were broken with clubs, rifle butts, bayonets, iron bars and other instruments. Furthermore, the experts said that in several cases, acts of torture and ill-treatment were accompanied by violent insults and death threats, including of an ethnic nature. The Commission of Inquiry on Burundi will present its final report to the UN Human Rights Council in September. Eritrea needs to stop delaying action over a catalogue of serious human rights abuses carried out against its own citizens, said Sheila Kita Ruth, a UN independent expert. Matthew Wells reports from UN News. Sheila Kita Ruth, the special rapporteur on the situation of human rights in Eritrea, told the UN Human Rights Council that its citizens continue to suffer arbitrary arrest, so-called incommunicado detention, enforced disappearances and a compulsory national service system that amounts to enslavement. She added that the government had made no effort to end these violations, which the Commission of Inquiry on Human Rights in Eritrea described as amounting to war crimes against humanity. She said the Eritrean government needed to rise above the rhetoric it had used to stonewall any action during addresses to the council. An attack on a popular restaurant in the Somali capital Mogadishu, which reportedly killed at least 19 people, has been condemned in the strongest possible terms by the UN envoy for the East African country. UN News reporter Matthew Wells has more. Michael Keating said that Wednesday night's attack was clearly aimed at civilians who were looking to break the fast for the holy month of Ramadan, traditionally a time of peace and compassion. He said there could be no justification for such acts of wanton bloodshed. 
The extremist terror group Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for the car bomb and gun attack on the Pizza House restaurant and the adjacent Posh Hotel. After reportedly taking hostages, five militants involved in the attack were subsequently killed by security forces. Mr Keating extended his heartfelt condolences to the families and victims of the deceased on behalf of the UN as well as the broader international community. In other news, while the past decade has seen many improvements in national laws that infringe on the human rights of people with disabilities, there is still a long way to go. That's the assessment of Theresia de Jena, chairperson of the UN Committee, which monitors implementation of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Well, after the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities having been in force for almost 10 years now, and we can see that many countries have changed their laws and especially with respect to guardianship laws and mental health laws and voting uh, laws, so that actually persons with disabilities have achieved more access to the election process, have achieved more freedom, and many countries have also changed their education laws and now implemented some kind of policies towards inclusive education. It's not that we are there yet. There is still lots to do. There is still lots of human rights violations happening um, against people with disabilities around the world. But I think the CRPD, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, has made a big difference during the last decade. So I think the big achievement is that disabled people themselves know about their rights, that they get access to courts and justice, and that they have human rights organizations also realizing that disability is a human rights issue and helping disabled people vindicate their rights. For the second decade of the CRPD, the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, I see the goal to maintain the normative standard set by the CRPD. Right now we can also already see that in some countries they have ratified the convention but they put reservations with respect to some articles like the Article 12, which is on legal capacity, or Article uh, 24, which is on education. So whereas there is a general acceptance of the standard, more and more countries are now thinking, oh, maybe we declare a reservation towards this or that normative standards. The other problem I see is that other human rights organizations, either at the regional level or other treaty bodies, do not follow the jurisprudence of the CRBD committee by adopting other jurisprudence which undermines this jurisprudence set by or the normative standard set by the CRBD. That was Theresia de Jena, chairperson of the UN Committee, which monitors implementation of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Activists are at the UN this week to review progress achieved since the treaty was adopted in 2016. And finally, back home, youth movements and political parties across the country have embarked on various events to mark Youth Day, observed annually on June 16th. President Jacob Zuma paid tribute to the class of 1976 for their courage to take on the apartheid state to register their rejection of the Bantu education system. 
addressing the main rally in Fintersdorp in the northwest to commemorate Youth Day, Zuma commended those who sacrificed their lives during the uprisings as students sought to advance the goals of liberation and democracy in South Africa. The youth of 1976 fought for political freedom, which Dawned in 1994, after a long protracted struggle by our people, the youth is now fighting for social and economic freedom. The youth of 2017 is fighting for freedom from poverty, inequality, and unemployment. The government in 1976 responded with guns to the call of young people for freedom and a better life. The democratic government calls upon young people to work with us in all spheres of government. And that was a quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You're listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas, 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV or You can also listen to us online. Simply log on to our website, radioveritas.co.ca. And I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up next, we bring you our youth feature, as today we take a look at the role of the youth in the Catholic Church, as well as youth devotion to the Rosary. <music> As South Africa observes Youth Day, I thought it would be good to remind ourselves of the role of the youth in the church, as well as the importance of prayer in the lives of young people. In one of my various interviews with Archbishop Buti Pahali of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg during the Marian month, His Grace highlighted the fact that Our Lady appeared to three little shepherds a sign that young people, as well as the youth, have a special role in the Catholic Church. I think one would like to highlight uh, Lucia dos Santos, um, Francisco, and Jacinta Marto. Uh, These are children, shepherd children, uh, who have been favored with an encounter with Our Lady. One of the things which I would like to highlight is that Our Lady spoke to children, and therefore youth have a role in the church. They they shouldn't be ignored or put at the back of the church on the balcony, but in fact that they have they have throughout the ages played a pivotal role in communicating with the supernatural and in prom- in promoting the prayer, in promoting the rosary. Uh, today we enjoy their legacy in the sense that all over the world people pray the rosary, all over the world people go on pilgrimages to venerate, to um, 
offer devotions to Our Lady. And that's the legacy of young people. And, uh, and that's something which we need to highlight today, that today young people have a role to play in shaping our faith, in bringing us back to the faith. Uh, just like, if you wish, like the youth of 76, who brought a big change to this country, I think young people should continue to play that role in supporting the faith, in being examples of faith. You don't have to be 50 or 70 years old to be a model of faith. And, and, and these three children were very comfortable, even though they were harassed, they were called liars, uh, with the, the apparitions being called a comedy, being called a fast, being called a hallucination. They, they, never, they were never discouraged by that. They never ran away from that. They stuck, their guns, stuck to their guns. And uh, to this day, we are being strengthened in our faith when we read their stories. And so celebrating 100 years is a moment of, of, of reflection, of renewal, um, and if you think at the time, uh, Portugal was in war, uh, Portugal was in um, turmoil, but so too was Europe because of the war. And somehow or other, their message uh, of faith has never died down. Today, when one goes to some of these places like Fatima uh, and other places, Medjugorje as well, um, People are strengthened in their faith when they go there and see thousands, hundreds, or even a million people gathering together, venerating Our Lady, recognizing her as a major intercessor, uh, so that she becomes the shortest route to Christ, as it were. Um, I think it's a marvelous story. It's a moving story in the modern history of the Church. Uh, so Fatima, uh, as we celebrate it, uh, as we will be celebrating it next weekend, um, it has a strong message, not just for people in Portugal, but for Catholics throughout the world, that something happened which we should cherish. And, and that is part of the reason why we ourselves here in the diocese are looking at creating a shrine, developing a shrine, in order to give ourselves and our community, our diocese, an opportunity of coming together um, to gather around the shrine of Mary so that hopefully we too can begin to share, even though we're far from Fatima, but in our own way, share in the happenings of 1917 when the three children experienced the presence of Mary in their lives so that we too can sense in a different way through Our Lady the presence of God in our lives. And so it's a momentous opportunity of reflecting on that, and therefore creating a shrine in our diocese also means that we too would like to gather amongst ourselves where two or three are gathered in the name of God, He is present, and begin to sense truly uh, the presence of God in our lives uh, through an event um, like remembering the apparitions of Mary. At the same time, when we talk about the youth, you know, that they need to come to the front, they need to be acknowledged. One thing that Pope Francis said recently is that the youth needs to pray. 
that the youth should pray the rosary. Now, with a feast like this of Our Lady of Fatima coming up, and never mind the fact that there's a feast coming up, but in ordinary day life, how do we encourage the youth to actually pray the rosary, pause for a moment and pray the rosary? Actually, I think, I think one of the contributions of, of Fatima is that you actually have these three children who are praying every day the rosary. And if they have been able to do that, and, and I think this also gives us an opportunity to tell their story, to tell their story so that it becomes a source of inspiration to other young people. Uh, and so that they would also want to emulate, imitate these three children. And there are many other, other children who have experienced um, the apparitions of Our Lady in Europe begin to, to look at their lives, their life stories, and imitate them and see at the end they, they were fulfilled as young people, as persons. They were fulfilled in the sense that and they flourished. They flourished in the light of their faith, their childlike faith, but strong faith. And they flourished and were fulfilled and were happy in their lives. And this is what one wants to encourage young people. I mean, the other thing, you become fulfilled when you realize your potential. Let's say uh, young people have to stay in school so that they have a profession, so that they can they can be able to fulfill their own needs, the needs of their own family, but also religiously, that they be fulfilled in their faith, so that their faith become a source of strength for them to pursue their professions, their career, etc. So I think those things go together, personally. They go together. You, once you are strong in your faith, you remain focused, and therefore you work hard to achieve your goal, to achieve your dream. And, and that is one, what one wishes for young people, to be strong in their faith, to be focused, to be driven, so that they achieve their goals and become what they want to be in life, rather than, rather than just living a life that is not fulfilling. I think it's important that once you are grounded in your faith, your faith should help you achieve your goals. And this is what we learn from these three seers, children seers of Fatima. But how do you put this into practice when it comes to youth, young people? I mean, we live in a world that is ruled by modern day technology, that is ruled by drugs and alcohol. How do you instill this mentality in young people? I don't know. I think from time to time you gather young people together and discuss these things so that they too may be able to pick up the message. And that is why I'm saying that the, the, the Feast of Fatima allows us to tell the story of young people so that those who listen to the story, who knows, might be moved by this story and might want to imitate them. And I, I think it's important to have organizations of young people who will sit together, reflect, and hear what the concerns of young people are uh, at a practical level, because we are all at different stages or we run at different speeds. Uh, it is important to listen to young people and hear where they are at and be able to encourage them in their dreams or make sure that 
each one of them has a dream because many young people, you'll be surprised, don't have a dream about their own future. They are like a leaf on a wave in the sea, uh, buffeted around by water. But that shouldn't be the case. I think in spite of the upheavals, in spite of the different attractions, one should remain focused. And so the only way of doing that is by gathering them together from time to time to discuss these things, to pray about these things, to have them share uh, their feelings on these issues so that they don't, they don't lose hope, so that they are, they are able to gather their own thoughts together and, and be encouraged, in a, encouraged by others as well who are struggling, who might have challenges, but are not prepared to give up the difficulties they confront as young people. And so it's important at a practical level from time to time to gather young people together, have youth days, have youth occasions where they are able to sit down and share with others and, and be inspired by other young people who are focused on what they want to achieve. And also, I guess that on on weekends, during mass, daily mass, maybe our own priests can also remind the youth about the importance of prayer, the importance of being focused in life. Maybe that's something also that we need to look at as a church, where we have priests that are constantly reminding young people of what life is. Yeah, I think not only priests, but you should have, we've just been talking about women in the church, their role of leadership. That's right. I, I think you need you need women to take leadership with that. I think you need, for example, your son Anne's sodalities, for example, to take under their wing young girls, young women, and begin to inspire them about how they should go about their own lives, how, what, is, what should be important in their own lives. Uh, so you need men, you have a, a Catholic men's forum, they should take under their wing young people, youth, so that, um, so that they serve as a guide to young people, serve as parents. It's not always easy to talk to your own parents, but you can talk to other adults about your life. They too are parents and will take the place of your own parents in discussing the things that are of importance to you uh, in directing you in your life. So yes, the priest can do that, but I also think that if you have in each parish a youth organization in each parish, then you have a, you have a possibility of reaching out towards youth in a variety of activities and going to youth and going to sports and going to doing a variety of activities, but, but keeping them together. I think it's essential that Young people are kept together so that they don't get lost, as it were, and uh, so that you actually have occasions where you where you create programs for them of interest to them, and uh, and in that sense you keep them together so that they don't get they don't get lost and take to drugs and take to other things simply because they 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 are idle and don't know what to do. So if you keep them together. Make sure that they stay in school. I think that's one of the most important things. Uh, even if they are interested in sports and all sorts of other things, but they should stay in school for their own sake. School, in many ways, saves you from being lost. And, and therefore, I think outside school, the church can play a role 
of keeping young people together, of inspiring them, of, of teaching them about prayer, of sharing them about prayer, of confronting their own doubts. At one point or another, we all have doubts about the supernatural, and, and, and putting before them the witnesses of many other young people who are very strong and very successful. So I, I think it's important to do that. And this has been your Youth Day edition of Catholic View. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again on Tuesday evening at the same time. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, shayla at radioveritas.co.za. Catholic View is a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Have a blessed weekend. Happy Father's Day to all fathers on Sunday. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirsch.